I am speaking to you at a moment of grave crisis. I'm Jeff Turner, and this is Recall. It's a series about history. Not the ancient past, but history that's still hot to the touch. In this first season, I explore a revolutionary political movement that brought a modern democracy to the brink. You can find Recall, How to Start a Revolution, on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Women on social media are fed up and they're speaking out. See, I didn't know there was the mystery behind why women love pockets so much. It's because we don't have them. Our pockets have always been really stupid or non-existent or just like a facade of a pocket. So you'll see like jeans pockets. Like you think, oh, they're just pockets, right? But a women's, women's pockets, you try to put your hand in and it just stops. It's just for Y'all, sure. It's not an Y'all, we need to start speaking up about the fashion industry and letting them know that under no circumstances do we want fake pockets. It's a men's blazer. This has one, two, three, four, five, five pockets. I think the women's had maybe one functioning one that was this big. Women just want pockets. That's right. And this strong desire for pockets even inspired a song by TikToker Heather Shalan. We need pockets, please. Women carry things. Having to carry a purse can be annoying. Oh, no, don't give me that pay. No, what's the point if it's useless? I'm actually trying to use it to carry my phone. So give me pockets on my jeans. Well, pockets may seem like a little thing, but it turns out there's a lot of history tucked inside. For generations, women have agitated for pocket equity. Pockets in men's clothing go all the way back to the 1500s. Hannah Carlson teaches dress history and material culture at the Rhode Island School of Design. And she digs deep into what pockets can tell us about society and ourselves in a new book called Pockets, an Intimate History of How We Keep Things Close. Good morning. Good morning. I, I didn't know. I just did not know the history of pockets. I did not know that I was part of the the, the, the pocket patriarchy. I just didn't know. <laughs> like, what what are women and girls getting shortchanged when it comes to pockets? Well, you know, I love that that lead your intro. All of the sort of upset and angst over pockets, but it's not at all current. I mean, for at least a couple hundred years, women have been complaining about this, what they call their greatest lack, and they've agitated with much earnestness. You know give us pockets. And it just, it's astonishing that it's been this long. And I think that reveals quite a lot. Yeah. Well, tell us about that because, you know, we talk about this pocket equity or pocket equality, pocket sexism. I mean, why, I I just, I didn't know the fact that that women had been shortchanged for for all these years. What are the roots of that? Well, I think there there are two main Two main things happening. One is just the really different trajectory of menswear and women's wear. And then the second really important one is beliefs about who needs pockets, you know, and how people use them. But for in terms of menswear, you know, the suit evolved really early as a uniform. And the suit goes from this craft product where tailors make it by hand to this sort of more industrialized product where you can buy it off the rack at Brooks Brothers in like 1850. And pockets are part 
of the expectation. They are included, they're systematized, you know, you know you get those two blazer inside pockets, you know, with every coat you get. And that doesn't happen with women's wear. Women's wear is made by hand. You cannot walk into a store and get it off the rack until like 1920. There's this sort of notion eventually um, when what, what women had carried a tie-on pocket under the skirt, but as women's, as moder- modern dress evolves, there's this expectation that women will carry handbags. That difference in how we make clothes really starts the pocket inequality. And then I think uh, what happens is there's this belief that women don't really need them, that, mm. that, that menswear, you need to act and do and make, and you have to have this suit that is like this um, mobile storehouse, you know? And, and women have just thought, well, you know, they, they've got a little bit that they need in their, in their purse. But whose, whose belief was it that women didn't need pockets? Well, it is all of our beliefs, mm. really. I, mean, I think the things that we make showcase the ideas we don't really want to say out loud. Like, oh, after second wave feminism, we're still not equal? No one, we tiptoe around that fact. And instead, you go into a store and you you want to buy, you know, a dress for your kid, your child, your girl. And you, you know, their shorts are so short and sparkly, there's no room for a pocket, no mm. room to carry, you know, all your treasures. Um, and from a very early age, I think we um, sort of agree as a culture that uh, women's wear, girls' wear is meant to be pretty. And boys' men's wear is meant to be utilitarian. And let's 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 go back a second here. I mean, what was it about pockets? I mean, why pockets? Why why did you want to dig into pockets? Um, you know, that's a really good question. <laughs> I mean, I think in part it was just that you know that's every once in a while being unexpectedly um, stranded. You know, and I don't know. You've walked out because of a fire drill, and you don't have your purse, and you think, "Oh my god, I can't do anything. I can't buy a cup of coffee. I can't get on the subway and leave." Um, but, but also, actually, I really arrived at this project through literature and all these wonderful moments in literature where um, sort of reflections on what it is to be human, how you move around in the world, and there are all these tiny little touch points where people mention pockets. Um, so there's, you know, for me, it was actually Mark Twain and his first time travel novel, Connecticut. Yankee. And Mark Twain has this really bad dream in like the mid 1800s. It's during the medieval revival. And he has this bad dream that he's stuck in armor and he wakes up and he's like in the middle ages and he can't get his pocket handkerchief and he can't do anything. And he says, these stupid designers, why would you make armor without pockets? (laughs) And I just sort of loved that. The idea that, you know, like, first of all, it's preposterous, right? armor is to protect you. But then it's also, um, uh, you know, this expectation that you always have pockets is something that men sort of, that's what, that's what they have. That's what you've never thought of before, right? So that's sort of what started the book. And, and when, w- w- pockets go back to when? When, when? when do you trace the history of pockets back to? Well, they go all the way back to the 16th century. So like around 1540, you begin to see Taylor's invoices um, and they say, okay, I'm going to add a couple of, you know, this leather pocket to your breeches. And pockets might be really, they don't look like pockets today. They look like what they actually originally were, which was a, a, a bag, a small bag. And so you see tailors begin to stitch inside men's breeches, which were these big, puffy, like pumpkin-like bloomers. I don't know, think Henry VIII. And he's got that doublet and that, right. those, that funny big trouser thing. And it seems as though like pockets are like a kind of an improvisation. Tailors say, oh, look at this big 
baggy breeches you're wearing, why don't we stick these bags inside your clothes um, instead of having you carry your purse strapped to your belt? So before pockets are stitched into clothes, um, they, they're just a kind of a little bag. And in fact, the word means, you know, poke is, you know, an Anglo-Norman derivation of French poche, so bag. So 16th century, first pockets, and we don't know which tailor had that aha moment. It's just lost to us. And it seems that they're really associated with menswear. You know, if Queen Elizabeth carries a pocket once in a while, but women continue an age-old medieval practice of wearing bags under their skirts. So there was a, an element of, of privilege to pockets. I think so. Even even early on, this idea that you could carry stuff um, and have objects accessible to you mm. at all times. Yeah, at one point, and, and read this in your book, in, in France, they actually tried to regulate the size of pockets. Why, why, why was that? Well, this is a great story. Uh, and I think it's really surprising. One of the surprising stories of this early moment is that pockets are not just a nifty device. I mean, they're kind of this threatening private space because one of the first objects that's miniaturized and is associated with pockets are pocket pistols, right. you know, the first handguns. And a new technology enables handguns um, guns to be miniaturized, and that's the wheel lock um, mechanism. So instead of lugging around this like three-foot gun that you have to stop and use two hands to light, you could actually carry it and it would be, you could set it up so it would be ready to shoot. And so, you know, rulers get really anxious about this. And the, the sort of really amazing evidence for me are these early proclamations and the Queen Elizabeth and James I try to ban um, pocket pistols. Uh, in France, they try to ban pockets themselves and say, you cannot have a pocket that's longer than, you know, six inches. <laughs> so, so in other words, we're going to ban pockets, not the weapons was, was the idea in France. The, it's not just uh, um, about having pockets. It's also about there's a, there's a cultural significance to pockets, and is especially when it comes to putting your hand in your pockets. So tell me about that. That what message does that send when somebody's got their hand in their pockets? Well, I think that's such an interesting gesture. Hands in your pockets. We normally think that when you are gesturing with your hands, I don't know about you. I'm a big gesturer that they have to be visible. Um, so the question for me is, why is it that when you put your hands inside your clothing, you it's such a meaningful sort of expressive gesture? Um, and I think the gesture oscillates between sort of sexual and psychological registers. So, you know, pockets locate to lust. They're over and around, <laughs> erogenous zones, right? So when you have your hand there, the reason that teachers and mothers say, get your hands out of your pockets is because you know, your hand is too close to the genitals. So what is your hand doing was, it, was a big question. But this is the other sort of thing is that, you know, from oratory and acting and public speaking, um, uh, the hand uh, removed into clothing, like a senator in Roman times who put the hand in the toga was considered reserved. So the psychological gesture sort of suggest this kind of mystery. <clears throat> you know, I'm not really, um, I, I'm, uh, what's the word? I'm contained. And so I think we get our notion of cool 
from this sort of moving back and forth between kind of it's sexy and rude on the one hand, mm. but it's also contained on the other. Well, at l- long before Alanis Morissette came out with Hand in My Pocket, uh, there was that famous portrait of, of poet Walt Whitman from Leaves of Grass with, with his hand in his pocket. And, and what, what was that suggesting that, that almost became controversial in its day? Why was that? <sighs> Well, yeah, because he, he's right in the middle. He's in the 19th century, and it's still rude to have your hand in your pocket. And I think Whitman is trying to figure out, like, how do I redefine what it means to be graceful? Like, what's what's graceful in a democracy? So, um, you know, aristocrats are losing credit. There's been the French Revolution. And I think on the one hand, he doesn't want to look like those aristocrats who had long been the graceful ones. You know, they now look sort of pompous. Um, but he also doesn't want to look like all those 19th century sober gentlemen who are like buttoned up and really sort of correct. Um, and I think, you know, the photograph which he puts on every frontispiece to every edition of Leaves of Grass was remarkable for a number of reasons. Like he's, he's in his work clothes. He's not wearing a jacket, but he also has one arm on his hip akimbo and one lazily held in his pocket. And people thought it was rude. He was worried that he'd gone too far. You know, he's like, oh, shoot, I look like I'm saying to hell with you. But he also loved it because it looked like this kind of natural grace, like, ah, oh, I've hit it. You know, I'm admitting that it's kind of bodily, you know, like I have I have my hand, yes, near my genitals, but I'm sexy and cool. And unlike every other like Victorian gentleman who we think looks sort of upright, I think we recognize Whitman, like he sort of forecast what 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 weeks sort of look like today. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. What can you tell about a person by what they keep in their pocket? I mean, that's, I think that was, that's also fascinating. I think that, you know, we're curious about other people's pockets. Um, I don't, you feel slightly like, have you ever gone through the airport security or you have to like remove everything when you're in a federal building? And it's kind of like, I don't want anyone to know about that. Absolutely. You know, I, 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 remember, I remember being a kid and my mother saying to me, empty your pockets because she knew right. something was up. Right. And I, but, but I think it's like, you know, every other collection we have and own, our home, the car, your, the books that you have, your CDs, those are kind of public. You know, like people see those collections. And I think there's something about what you carry um, that reveals the real you. So I think Shakespeare says at one point in The Tempest about a character, um, if, your, if your pockets could speak, would they say you lie? For example, like looking at pockets and trying to understand who people are is something that happens still today. The um, Library of Congress collects you know, has the collection of what Lincoln was carrying when he was assassinated. Yeah, tell, us, tell us more about that, because, I mean, that's that's fascinating that there, that, that there was this box of, of that for years that was kept under lock and key and nobody knew what it was. It was what Lincoln had in his pockets. Tell us more about what, how, how that finally came to be made public. 
Yeah, so there's this um, wonderful box. The granddaughter of Lincoln donates these objects that had been carried on Lincoln, that Lincoln carried to the theater that night. And when she gave it to the Library of Congress, someone apparently wrote, do not open. Um, And I think some librarian, this is totally my speculation, did not want to violate his privacy, you know? And so those objects were put into the Library of Congress's, uh, the lead librarian, head librarian's office and forgotten for you know, half a century. Um, and it wasn't until the 1970s that um, the head of the Library of Congress said, you know, we have got to humanize Lincoln. Mm-hmm. He cannot be, we, we want to make him more real to people. Let's open this and let's, he, they did it on his birthday and they revealed that he held quite ordinary items. You know, he had eyeglasses, a pocket handkerchief, a pocket knife, um, but he also had newspaper clippings that had favorable reviews of his 64 presidential candidacy. So, those objects, instead of humanizing Lincoln, I think in a way they made him, they, they became like relics and people go to visit them. Um, and this, this, this collection of objects is one of the most frequently, the collection that people, visitors most frequently ask to see. Mm. Um, so, so, the, so the librarian did not achieve his goal. Well, to tell us too about, um, for, so as, as the women's rights movement, I mean, even going back to the suffragists, they were complaining about pockets. I mean, why was that part of their agenda? Yeah, so the, um, I think that for a while, you know, clothes had been a problem and women had been, in the 19th century, remember they're wearing corsets and these big long trailing skirts and women's rights activists start to say, you know, this is actually a problem. It's not. It's more than just fashion. Uh, you know, th- this is holding us back. Um, and by the 1880s, um, women actually start to vocally complain. Um, they call the lack of pockets their greatest lack. The New York Times gets in on the act, and like in 1899, they've got this headline that says, "Men's clothes full of pockets, while women have but few." Right? Civilization demands pockets. Um, and so sometimes the demand for the vote and the demand for pockets were made together. Um, with Charlotte Perkins Gilman, the feminist sociologist, um, said, look, without pockets, you do not feel prepared. You do not have the confidence that you can meet any emergency. And she imagined this utopian world in 1915 in her novel, Her Land. So Her Land is this imaginary island run by women and only populated by women. And on that land, they have these crazy suits, and the, these suits were quilted in pockets, right? So in, in her imagination, this would be the perfect place where you had pockets that uh, were ingeniously arranged, that you could, you know, get them wherever you wanted them. And I think actually Toad in the Wind and the Willows says it best. That was the children's book around oh. 1890. Without pockets, you are not equipped for the real contest. And that's what those women's rights activists were sort of noting. But a, a long, hard-fought battle, which is we, we said off the top, is is still ongoing. But I thought it was interesting too when we looked at, at World War II, when when the women were had their uniforms, they still didn't have the same pockets that men had. How? Why? Why was that? Well, that's I think really amazing evidence because in World War II in the U.S the quartermaster general had never actually made uniforms fitted to women or women's bodies. You know, they're trying to figure out how to design, you know, what does a woman's uniform look like? And a couple of compromises are made early on. One is we're going to keep the skirt. You know, we don't want men to think that um, these 
recruits are Amazons, you know, or lesbians was one anxiety, or um, uh, prostitutes. So, you, okay, let's have a skirt. Then there's this question about what the coat looks like. And apparently there were several experiments done, like, let's put, what does it look like to put cigarettes or useful objects in breast coat pockets? Mm. And they did not like that. Did not look good. It seemed to sort of disrupt notions of femininity. So even in the military, this place where function is paramount, notions of femininity were seemingly disrupted. And so instead of pockets, any working pockets, they invent this sort of horrible looking purse, which has all these problems. It doesn't stay on your shoulder. So then you have to strap it over one shoulder. And anyway, designers had created this terrible problem that took a long time to solve. And so you see these whack recruitment posters with women, a purse slung around their shoulder, like looking like they're, you know, they're, they're not going off to war. They're going off to the supermarket. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, why, you know, why do we have to carry this badge of servitude? That's what um, suffragists called the purse. And, and to this day, uh, if you and I go to the store and I buy my men's jeans and you buy your women's jeans, are our pockets going to be different? Yes, they are. And there's to this a day. wonderful, yeah, to this day, there's some wonderful studies about how, um, in this great study, a couple of um, graphic designers uh, looked at 70 pairs of mass market jeans available and discovered that, you know, pockets for women are about half as long and you cannot fit most cell phones in that gene, you know, much less your hand. So um, it seems as though manufacturers want the look of a pocket, but they don't want to go to the trouble to make a pocket. Has has writing this book changed the way you think about your own pockets? Are you now sort of self-consciously putting things into your pocket or, or monitoring what you put into your pocket or don't put into your pocket? Well, I try to see how many times I can get by without carrying a bag and under what conditions. You know, it doesn't always work in the summer, let me tell you. <laughs> um, and um, so it's – and I am a careful buyer and try to find really fun pockets that have lots of, you know, let me say that there are some great pockets, you know, and that's, I think, especially the sportswear continuum and where sportswear sort of um, moves to daily wear, where you get good pockets. Um, But I think more than anything, this project has made me think about the design of our world and how much small things matter. What then is the future of pockets? (laughs) Well, you know, dare I ask? Well, yes, I think you should ask that. I mean, and I think actually that um, like futuristic fiction, you know, like Star Wars, from Star Wars on, there have been all these folks who hope to abolish abolish all encumbrance. Like this idea that you could just walk out and be free and not have to carry anything is something that really shows up a lot in futurist sort of imagining. Um, And today there's this crazy sort of... um, field of wearables, we won't have to actually carry tools. It will, we'll all be sort of, it will all be, you know, in our clothes somehow, or, you know, if Google gets their say, we'll be walking around with contact lenses, you know, instead of phones that, I don't know. I think that's not actually going to happen because I think people and designers love pockets and sometimes the lucky charm held in your pocket, you know, keeps you going, sustains momentum. We are hoarders of all sorts of weird stuff. There are no digital handkerchiefs, for example. We're still going to need a pocket for that. And, but more importantly, where are you going to make sure you're not feeling totally uncomfortable at a cocktail party if you don't have pockets to hide your hands in? 35 years of being a journalist, Hannah, this is the first conversation I've ever had about pockets. And I'm glad we <laughs> hey, had I'm, it. Hey, I'm proud that I made you think about it. That's great. <laughs> Thank you so, so much. Glad. 
Okay, bye. Cheers. Hannah Carlson's new book is called Pockets, An Intimate History of How We Keep Things Close. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.